Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by DraftKings. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. Got a fun episode. We got an interview with Nick Villato talking about six mid-round prospects. Last year, we talked about Matt Pear, so maybe we're going to be talking about a future Giant um, on the episode. So that was that was good fun. 45 minutes of draft talk. Um, and we got to talk about Zach Fulton and Ryan Anderson being signed. Justin, how are you? How dare you forget about Devontae Downs being brought back? Um, I'm willing to bet an insignificant body part that Nick Filato has talked about some prospect prospect who will eventually be a giant. An insignificant body part. So I mean like a pinky, a middle toe, um, maybe the ring finger on the on my left finger, because screw marriage, right? I don't want to wind up giving away half my shit. Ooh, bad word. Sorry. Um, Bobby, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, and I'm even better because of the special people who brought us this episode. And one of wow. them just commented on a post. That was really morbid, what I just said to start off the show. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, My parents are divorced. Who, boy, we are really getting off to a bad start right now. Um, this episode was brought to you by Larry Edelstein. Larry Edelstein. Brian, Brian with no name. He's a horse with no name. Alex sure. Garber. The Garbage Man Garber, Joe, Josh mm-hmm. Breger, uh, that's a German name, and then Ernie Casanova, Cowboy Casanova Ernie, Ernie from the Sesame Street. Justin, who are these Sesame Street characters? Do you remember that there was an episode of Talking Giants where I sang uh, Cowboy Casanova by Carrie Underwood a couple seconds of it? Nope, I probably blocked that out from my memory. Do you want me to do it again no, so you can please. remember? Who are these people? They went to patreon.com slash talking giants, and for $2 a month, they get to support us. Uh, they get to watch us for a couple minutes tonight because we recorded an awesome interview with uh, Nick Filato to talk about some exciting moves the Giants made, most notably re signing and bringing back Devontae Downs. Patreon.com slash talking giants, $2 a month, and Bobby sends you some magnets, and you may win a free shirt. Maybe even two. Maybe you can get lucky and win a shirt twice, twice two shirts one month because we do shirt raffles twice a month. All right, let's get Thank into you. some Giants football. Yeah. Zach Fulton and Ryan Anderson were signed. Let's start with Zach Fulton because the offensive line is very important. And this is a, an interesting signing that I don't think gives us a ton of clarity with the Giants. They signed Zach Fulton, six foot five, three hundred twenty one pound guard, twenty nine years old. Uh started forty four games over the last three years for the Texans, started forty six games his first four years for the Chiefs as a guard and then a little bit of center too. Uh one season. Six-round pick from Tennessee, so there actually is a connection there, a coaching staff connection, which they didn't do that a ton this offseason, but Derek Dooley, the tight ends coach, was his head coach at the University of Tennessee. Justin and I did a film breakdown, and I watched the film on him. I Right now, with this guard room, with Will Hernandez, Shane Lemieux, and now Zach Fulton, I think Zach Fulton is right around 
that area that Shane Lemieux is. They're very different players, but I do think Zach Fulton right now is a little bit better than Shane Lemieux. Um, and I think I think there will be if if there's no guard added in the top of the draft, I do think it'll be a competition between those two for a starting spot. And you evaluate Shane. So Will Hernandez, we would rank as the number one guard on the team talent wise right and then number two you said Fulton number three Shane Lemieux so I think you rank Fulton as possibly a better run blocker um oh excuse me the other way around Fulton as a better pass blocker and Lemieux as a better run blocker correct yes yes yeah um Fulton pass blocking wise now it's crazy he gave up a a PFF uh, we know they're kind of wonky with their sack numbers they you know they'll give credit to you know, and I've I've posted examples like, hey, they credited this guy for a sack in this game. Look at all these sacks; none of them are on him, or they didn't. This guy did give up a sack, and they credited him. So I only went through two games. Um, they credited him for eleven sacks in 2020, which is a ton for anybody, let alone a guard. But that's a ton of sacks. In 2019, though, he only get one sack, and then his six-year career before 2020, he only gave up 14 sacks. So you're looking at 2020 giving up 11. The first six years of his career, 14. Like, that's crazy. Um, so, I don't think, you know, at 29, I don't think he's just on this huge decline. But anyways, as a pass blocker, um, he has good recoverability. He picks up stunts uh, and blitzes well. Like, a lot better than, you know, the Giants have in the past. Um, but he has slow feet. He has slow feet. So, he can get beat outside, inside, that type of stuff. And in the run game, he's not going to move anybody. He's going he's gonna to have to win with the right angles coming off at the right time, putting his helmet in the in the right spot, hands in the right spot, because he's not just he's not going to move guys the way Shane Lemieux or Andrew Thomas do. I mean, in terms of the pass blocking, though, he does have the good recoverability, and where he does have the active feet is after the initial maybe snap of the ball and after the first step. A little slow off the first step. I think you were breaking this down, um, but that does scare me. So if we're talking about, you know, Obviously, I don't think we view Fulton as a as an answer or as the answer uh, at for starting guard in 2021. Um, but if the Giants do, there's something that does scare me with relying on your recoverability. You know, relying on your ability to recover if you got beat off of your first step and if you maybe get caught leaning a little bit. So um, this is a move that I don't think it restricts the Giants from doing anything in terms of the draft. I don't think it restricts them, even if they still want to look at a, a Turner from Carolina. I don't even think it restricts them doing that. I know they would have to work around the cap. That's that's also probably not happening at this point if Engram is not traded before the draft because Kyle Rudolph's contract is also signed too. Um, there was a little bit of doubt for like 24 hours whether that was actually going to happen. So, Bobby, if, if anything, this puts in my mind and in my brain it puts Will Hernandez's future in doubt more than anything, but I think that's a reach of a take. I view it as insurance for the draft. That hey, we yeah. don't have to, we don't have to get a guard in the first three rounds. We have a guy who started ninety career games that could come in and play if Shane Lemieux doesn't like step up. Like I, I think their goal is for Shane Lemieux to start. I think they want Shane Lemieux to grow and start, which Shane Lemieux can do. I have a question. I hope I have an answer. Now, this isn't ideal for offensive linemen, but Joe Judge showed a very, very big willingness to do this. Do we possibly see a rotation of rushing downs, first and second down? We see Shane Lemieux in there, and then 
third down, we see Fulton in there if he's a better pass blocker than Shane Lemieux. It, do we see that rotation? If you did that in series, it may, it would probably be the first time ever. I could still see them doing the rotation where this guy gets this series, this guy gets this series. You know, I mean, we saw the Giants do that, so we know they're willing to try it. But if there's no, I would be blown away if they did that in a series where it's like, okay, like now you come out for this play, you bring this guy in. All right. Well, maybe not within a series, but I think they're, you know, let's face it. You know, when you have the two minute warning at the end of the second quarter, it's more likely that you're going to be throwing the ball than running the ball. So then maybe that's a, that's a series where you want Fulton to be in there versus the first drive of the game. If you maybe don't want to be so aggressive, you want to get Saquon going, then Shane Lemieux would be there. So I guess it, it may, you know, may not depend, you know, series by series or play by play or no, it may not depend by play by play, but series by series based off of what the, the game script is and what the game is calling for. Maybe they do that if they don't acknowledge something in the draft, which I think we're still under the impression end of March, beginning of April, we're on the boat of we would like the Giants to do something pretty significant within the first three rounds at offensive line. Yeah, I, I, the only way I see them doing a rotation is that if Zach Fulton wins the starting job, but they still want to give some series to Shane Lemieux, the young guy. Like, yeah. I don't think, I don't see Shane Lemieux winning the starting job, and it's like, okay, let's get the 29-year-old vet on a one-year contract some, some reps in there. I think it would be a, if Zach Fulton wins it, but they also want to give Shane Lemieux those uh you know a certain amount of reps a game because they do believe like they do believe they do like Shane Lemieux there's there's yeah. no doubt about that um we also don't know how they feel about Will Hernandez uh and then uh, someone made a good point to me like well maybe they do maybe they have shown you what they think about Will Hernandez and I don't want to accept it which is very real because you know I like Will Hernandez much more than I like a Lemieux um or Fulton now um but I I feel like if the I feel like if they if that was continuing, they would have made a move on Hernandez, and and they still could, but Hernandez isn't the type of guy, isn't the type of player that you're going to bring into this season and just have him on the bench. Correct, correct. You you've made that point before, and I'll tell you what, Kyle Rudolph signed his contract. A nice trade package is Will Hernandez and Evan Ingram. That's like a nice trade package for a team. I mean, Evan Ingram has how many years left on his well, rookie both deal? Won. His, it, it expires in 2022. This is both the last year of their deals. Evan Ingram had the fifth-year option. Well, I thought uh, Will Hernandez would have gotten a four-year deal since he was drafted in 2018. This will be his fourth year. Oh, okay. 2018, 19-20. Um, this year's 21. Well, I can't count. So, But that's, that still is a tempting trade package for a team that may want to give us a... That would, that would be a pretty nice trade package i i think that where we wouldn't just accept a fourth round pick for that that's maybe like one or two picks in there yeah yeah you could get something for that um it's we've got a long time before the draft so there's moves to be made but yeah like like i think with all this conversation is back to my original point this move doesn't give me any clarity on the offensive right. line you know, I I view it as I view it as insurance, but like it could be a, a multiple of different things, and we don't know how they feel. As much as we, you might think they, we know how they feel about Hernandez. We don't know. Um, Correct. So, uh, I told I said I was going to assume I was going to retire the assume uh, it's going to be the minimum contract, but I, you would think it's it's near there for Fulton. It's going to be like five million a year. Uh, <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Next, before we get into the interview, Ryan Anderson, not the white three-point shooter for your Orlando Magic, the outside linebacker, edge player for 
the Washington football team. Six foot two, two hundred fifty five pounds, twenty six years old, second round pick from Alabama. So this is our him and Raglan, both both a couple of Alabama guys. Joe Judge, an Alabama guy. How about that? Um, Burton Burns, an Alabama guy. One year contract, nine hundred ninety thousand uh, dollars. Two thousand nineteen, he played a good amount for them. He played fifty percent of the snaps, had forty four tackles, four sacks, four tackles for a loss. And then with uh, with the new coaching staff, the addition, uh, addition of Chase Young, his snaps went down to fourteen percent, and he was playing. You know, he was always playing edge, but. He went from being a guy who would play, you know, 20 to 25% coverage snaps to none at all and was a hand in the dirt, rush the passer from the edge, defensive end type guy. So he clearly wasn't a system fit, and they just had better players in front of him with Young, Sweat, and uh, Kerrigan. Yeah, the one year where he got somewhat of significant playing time, like Bobby said, the production wasn't wasn't bad. I mean, he even compiled 19 pressures, which is kind of cool, exactly a 50% rate. You know, let's just... You multiply that by two, 100% of the snaps, that's 38 pressures, which is a good season, but it's never realistic for somebody to play 100% of the snaps. Um, I, this hurt a little bit because Kyler Fackrell did go to, um, not San Diego, he went to LA, signed with the Chargers, and this was a signing that was clearly like, this is a special team signing. He's played a decent amount of percentage of snaps on special teams. Uh, you know, uh, he, the year that he played 49% of the snaps in 2019 on defense, he also played 49% of the special team snaps for Washington as well. And then in 2020, he played 30% of the special team snaps. So, um, you know, he doesn't have a role on uh, for every single snap that is on special teams, but probably punt team. You know, he he's going down there and he's running down. He's making a tackle, maybe even kickoffs too. So I can imagine that's what this signing is. And that's kind of disappointing knowing Giants are very thin at edge, and Kyler Fackrell left for a very, probably, I don't know what his final contract is, but there's probably no, very no a very team-friendly yet. deal. But I think no it, I think it is, okay. it, there's no numbers yet. I've, I looked for them. Um, there's, I think it's a very clear, like, hey, we signed Kenny Galladay, Adore Jackson, we can't afford Kyler Fackrell. You know, we can't, we can't afford Kyler Fackrell, even at his contract last year of $4 million a year. And you know, I think we all, I think we all think he lived up to that contract. Fakaro was a was a good, solid player. It wasn't anything crazy, but he was a good, solid player for them. Um, and when he went down, it was it was actually a, it was a significant loss because of you know because of Golden being traded and Carter and Zimenez already going down. Um, so when he went down, you really noticed it on on the edge for the Giants. Um, so you understand, like you understand it though. It's like hey, they they went out and got some big money guys. And they weren't able to keep Ryan F- or Kyler Fackrow. So they bring in and- uh, Anderson, someone who's played football, has, you know, he's all right, but I don't think he's better than Fackrell in any facet, you know, not as yeah. pass rusher, run defense, or, or coverage. But he will, he, I think he's right now, he's right in the middle of, hey, you got Carter and Zimenez as the top two guys, and then you have Coughlin, Cam Brown, and Nico Lelos. I feel like he's smack dab in the middle where he's like, he's not down on their level. You know, those are young guys who can grow, but I don't, I don't view him as good as a Lorenzo Carter. Um, And you could maybe say Zimenez, but we've seen so little of Zimenez. It's hard to have an opinion on who he is. Yeah. And when he was actually playing, he wasn't, he wasn't getting crazy snaps either. Um, So that's something to keep note of and keep in the back of your brain. Um, Here's an idea. Uh, Research Rick loved to talk about the three defensive lineman sets for Patrick Graham in 2020. And when all of our edge rushers were traded, injured, went down, not on the team, 
the Giants kind of had to do that by choice. But do we think that we, they maybe do that a little bit more in 2021 just because of the personnel that they have? Obviously, if we add an edge rusher in the first three rounds, that, that probably changes the the answer to this question. But why not? I admit, you know, we're, we're making the strength the strength. You know, we even signed Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's had great production in the past. So why not go with more of these three defensive linemen sets? Well, I want to build off that. Uh, if Eddie Odenegbo, people are like, people have assumed that because he's a defensive end in a 4-3 that he's going to be an outside linebacker. I'd be surprised. It's not impossible. But he's closer to a nose tackle than he is a stand-up defensive end. Like, he played some nose tackle, three, like, you know, defensive tackle reps. I do view him as that hand-in-the-ground defensive tackle. You know, you could call him a defensive end. Like, you could call Leonard Williams a defensive end, but at the end of the day, in this 3-4 system, he's a defensive tackle, even if he's lining right. up on the end. Like, you know, Leonard Williams, you don't count him as edge. You know, you count Carter, you know, Ximenez as edge guys. So I don't view him as a stand-up outside linebacker, and I'm pretty – I feel pretty good about that take. You know, we – we can't see it for sure until we see them on the practice field. But he I don't view him as a guy who's gonna be standing up on the edge and, and just rushing the passer. Uh and you know, Patrick Graham scheme versatility, they didn't play golden because he could drop it in the coverage. Effetti's never done that. He's never yeah. done that. Um he's done it just as much as Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Thomason have. So, um I don't view him as as an answer out there. So I do agree though. They're gonna run those three defensive line sets. You know, you got Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams. You want to get B.J. Hill in there. Austin Johnson to play nose tackle. Um, now, Effetti. Hell, maybe they even make R.J. McIntosh active. Or they even bring in somebody else in the, the end of the draft or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think they'll do that. Plus, Raglan is a is a pretty good upgrade over David Mayo. Like, I really like the Reggie Raglan signing. Um, and I think he'll battle with Tay Crowder for that starting job next to Blake. So they're going to do a lot of different stuff, and I think we're going to see a lot more blitzing too to help for the lack of that outside linebacker group and the addition of Dora Jackson. I do think you're going to see more blitzing than they did this past season. Cool. Yeah, Reggie Raglan, big, stocky guy, but he kind of good in coverage. Blake Martinez is good at getting to the quarterback. It makes me feel a little bit better if we have two linebackers out there in third down instead of three safety sets. So um, Joe Judge, it, it really does feel like Joe Judge is putting his – uh. Uh, a blueprint in this footprint on this roster with guys that he feels comfortable with, which, you know, Jordan Ronan said, you know, he came on the show, you know, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, he said that the coaching staffs have in the past have not been given that input, which is nice to hear that that has kind of changed. Bobby, uh, Devontae Downs, you're so excited that he's back. Well, and before we get into Devontae Downs, I think we got to remember round one, two, and three, you're expected to impact from day one, depending on if you're Matt Parrott, you're not. But like, if you get an, if we go offensive lineman, wide receiver, outside linebacker, or whatever combination, like those three guys are meant to play. So I, I you know, those are three impact players that are are yet to be on on the squad. Devontae right. Downs was signed, and I know everyone's like, Bobby's gonna be so pissed. No, if he if he's the fourth inside linebacker when when fifty three man cuts happen, then I'll be annoyed. But you have to bring ninety people in the camp. Or you don't have to, but you you bring ninety people in the camp. I got no problem with them bringing him in the camp. You know, I I, I think they saw like I mean they saw it with 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 you know Downs like they they saw who he was. There's a reason he was benched very quickly. So I would I would be surprised if he's the number four inside linebacker on uh, the day they make cuts. And you know, very smart people like myself always say, Bobby. 
that the the depth is always thinnest at interior linebacker. Like everybody that's on the depth chart is going to be playing. Smart people like myself say that all the time. PC, only you know that joke that I say that all the time. Um, but anyways, uh, Danny Behan says my tweet was more of a joke towards you, Bobby. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not. I'm not remembering what tweet he's talking about. We're not picking up what you're putting down, Danny B. Oh, the Devontae Downs. Oh, Danny, there oh. was millions of people who were tweeting that at me. And I get it. It's like I've been I've railed against Devontae Downs pretty hard. Um, which kind of makes me feel bad too, but it's like, you know what? I've never made it personal. So, Bobby, your your tweet mentions were madness. You want to know what else is madness? What's madness? March madness. The tournament. It's in full swing. And now we're getting to the time of the year of March Madness, and we're getting to the time of the month where my brain gets confused because it's called March Madness, but the most exciting basketball is going to be taking place in April. That confuses my brain. The action has not disappointed, though. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 101 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. There's no better way to put your college college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook has 101 odds on select fighters for this weekend's UFC 260. Somebody in the YouTube comments actually complimented me on my, uh, I forget what his name is, the, the announcer for ufc so i'm gonna do it again fighting that was that wasn't as good but i i'm gonna make a video of that one day of me doing an impersonation of that person very good very good thank you DraftKings. um justin we're gonna have we're- i'm not i'm not done yet oh. DraftKings safe secure and reliable so you can deposit bobby skinner and withdraw your funds at your convenience download the top rated DraftKings sportsbook app now and use promo code john boy when you sign up to turn one dollar to one hundred dollars of college basketball team if you're choosing pulls off the win let's go john boy to turn one dollar to one hundred dollars for a limited time only at DraftKings sportsbook must be 21 years older new jersey indiana, indiana pennsylvania only new customers only restrictions apply see DraftKings sportsbook.com see DraftKings uh gambling problem call 100 gambler or an indiana 109 with it. There you go, Bobby Skinner. Now you can talk. All right. We got Nick Filato, the Big Blue Banter podcast. He's a he's a guy who does a lot of draft stuff. Ooh. What's that? Some type of vehicle. And we're <laughs> going to talk about six draft prospects. We've got Aaron Banks, Quinn Miners, Amir Smith-Marset. I think I got that name right. Um, Trill Williams, Rashad Weaver. And Ellerson Smith. We're going to talk about all those guys. Last year, we talked about Matt Parrott. So make sure. And last year, I, I went through with him. His, his list was pretty good last year. So make sure to check it out. Well, you're here already. And without further ado, Nick Filato. Come on. Pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right. We're recording. We got Nick Filato, Big Blue Banter. Sport a million different places, but we I think most of our audience knows you from Big Blue Banter. I know you write for Big Blue View, Giants Country. Nick Filato, what's going on, my man? Nothing, man. Just having a good time. Uh, Giants were really active in free agency, giving us a lot of hope for this 2021 season in this desolate division that is the NFC East. I know Dak Prescott's going to be back, but I mean, we have no idea what's going on with, you know, fellow Paisan Nick Sirianni over there. 
the Philadelphia Eagles, Washington football team. Yeah, they're the NFC East defending champs, but pretty sure we could topple them. But we're going to have to see, man. It's going to make for a really interesting 2021. Yeah, it's it's time to go for the Giants, you know, where it's, you know, we there's still a lot of improvement to need, but you need it. But the Giants, it's time to go. Um, and a big part of that is going to be the draft. And if we can get mid-round guys to contribute, and that's what we want to do. This is uh, – we did this a year ago, and I think it went pretty well. And we even drafted one of the guys – we talked about five guys last year. One of them was Matt Parrott. Everyone, everyone who's listening knows who Matt Parrott is. You did a pretty good job. You got Logan Wilson, who – he had 33 tackles, a sack, two interceptions for the Bengals, third-round pick last year. Kayvon Wallace, 20 – Kayvon Wallace is probably the one that didn't pan out, but I was a big Kayvon Wallace fan, and he's still got time. Alton Robinson had four sacks on 29% of the snaps, and then Troy Pride played 50% of the snaps um, too. So so I'm hoping we get some gems out of your list this year. Yeah, let's see. And there's a lot. I mean, this year, there's a lot that's nebulous. You know, we're not 100% sure what's actually going to happen, Bobby, because a lot of these players didn't even play in 2020, you know? So there's a lot of uncertainty in this draft, more so than even normal. I know it's so weird when you go to like look for guys like like film and it's like, where's 2020? Where's 2020? And then you read his profile. I try to like I try to watch the film before I read the guy's profile so I don't have like any preconceived notions. Same. And then you read the profile and it's like, oh, opted out of 2020. It's like, oh, okay, that that makes sense. Um, Absolutely. Which I think that's the fun part about finding these mid round guys. I feel like that's where we all like you know stake our claims uh, on our, on our draft prowess. So. Before we get into that, what are you guys doing at Big Blue Banter for draft month? Uh, you know, coming up, uh, I know you guys have been pumping out a, a ton of episodes. What do you guys got planned? Yeah, Dan Schneier, CBS, and myself, we've been doing a lot of draft profiles, and we're going to be you know, doing our rankings and stuff once I meet myself and Dan kind of get the entire uh, class within our eye shot. We want to be fair to everybody, start doing some rankings and stuff. But right now we're just doing draft profiles and talking about what the New York giants were able to do in free agency right now. Dan actually just got back from Vegas. So he's recollecting himself and we just recorded a draft episode that will drop or a uh, free agency episode that will drop here shortly. How many players do you get through for the draft? Cause this is my first year where I, I, I told myself I was going to do 200 players. And I'm thinking I might fall a little short of that because I've been trying to grind through it. And then with all the other Giants news, I think I'm at like 60 right now. I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this whole damn thing. I think I have more than 80 actual draft evaluations, but my eyes on it's it's going to be well over probably 150, maybe close to that 200 uh, number. It's, it's interesting, though, man. You know, you watch a tape, uh, Georgia against Alabama right there. You're getting how many prospects that are going to be draftable from the Alabama offense yeah. and the Georgia defense. So if you do it that way and it's going to take you hours to get through one film, it really will. And especially if you're taking good notes and being diligent about it, you're watching one play several different times to kind of fully comprehend what actually is going down, what the offense wants to do, what the defense is trying to do as well. And then you kind of evaluate that way. You can bang out a lot of players like that, but it's very time consuming. So you just got to be, uh, you know, have your attention to detail ready and dive into the film the Alabama O-line was brutal to go through because you got Dickerson who I love Deontay Brown and then and then Leatherwood we're just like all right went through this play like twice on this player now rewind go through it on this player rewind go through on this player and I think that I think that like just Alabama versus Georgia I think I think it took me like four hours just to go through there those three O-linemen so 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and then you look at the Georgia defenders too. You got Eric Stokes, you got Tyson Campbell, you got Aziz Ojolari, you got the linebacker, you have the safety as well, Lacante, who is a draft eligible player. There's there's a lot of draft eligible people there. For sure. So before we get into these mid-round guys, right now, what do you do at 11? Because it, it's wide open. Last year, it was offensive tackle or Simmons. This year, it's I mean, you can go a million different ways right now. I know. And if you were to ask us this last week, we would have been like, oh, it has to be corner or it has to be wide receiver. But now after Kenny Galladay and Dory Jackson have been signed, you really look at it and you say, Micah Parsons is very, very enticing there. I know he did not play in 2020, but pairing him with Blake Martinez at that second level, he can drop into coverage. You can use him off the edge very effectively. I mean, he was recruited to Penn State as an edge rusher. <laughs> he can really add a certain element to the blitz packages from the linebacker position that Patrick Graham likes to run. I mean, I really think he can unlock the next level that you want. I think Micah Parsons is really, really intriguing, but at the same time, I look at this offensive line and it seems like there's some uncertainty here, right? We're really hoping for Matt Pear, Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux to kind of hit that level, but that's not certain at all. And I know you bring in Rob sale, you bump Freddie kitchens up to be an offensive analyst. You bring back Pat Flaherty and you hope they unlock this, these players potentials, but that's, that's still, you're hoping right there. You're hoping from a jump from multiple players. And that's not even bringing up Andrew Thomas, who you hope plays similar to the latter half of the year and not the beginning half of the year. Right. So offensive line can't be ruled out either. And if we're Sean Slater there at 11, that's definitely a course of action that I would support, but I'm also for trading down because I still love to have a team that's deep. I love to create competition. If you get more picks in the mid round, you get more kicks at this can of players who could be successful or players that could be going under the radar because of all the uncertainty that we talked about before. So you got to give me a name though. You got to give me one. Okay. I'm going to say Rashawn Slater. Me too. Me too. I, I'm, I'm well, actually, you know, I need to be fair. I need to, to watch Slater. He's one I haven't watched. I promise you. I, I'll watch him by the time this episode comes out. How about that? Um, but if he's everything that everyone says he is, I'll probably be on that. Where, yeah, like you said, last week I would have said Jalen Waddle or Devonta. You know, who? which of those big three would have fell. Um, and then when we signed Galladay, I'm like, okay, let's uh, let's look at Caleb Farley or, or certain, you know, whichever corner you preferred. And then now it's like, I think I, I, think I got to go offensive line and just try and build this offense up around Jones. I want to ask you, Bobby, is Waddle and, and these players, are they completely off the table now with the Kenny Galladay edition? No, and it would be fun and it'd be exciting, but I just feel like it would – I feel like it would be reckless. I would feel I feel like it would be reckless. Obviously, Galladay is Galladay. Shepard is going to play in the slot. And then Slayton – I don't think Slayton's a guy you put on the bench, you know? And you could talk about rotating guys and playing – but. Slayton is better than the fourth wide receiver. And I think he's going to benefit a ton from having Galladay. So, um, and also there's so many wide receivers. I love, I like, you know, it's, it seems like wide receiver is deep every single year in the draft nowadays. Like, you know, Deami Brown, who, you know, some people have in the third round. I think that guy's like worth the first round pick Rondale Moore, like Rondale Moore. If you told me Rondale Moore was like, had, didn't have injuries, he'd be wide receiver four for me. Like there's so many other guys at wide receiver that you can fall in love with that one of them is going to be there in the second round if you truly want to add that that piece. But I, just, I just feel like it'd be reckless because I feel like we have a good wide receiver core now. Um, and like you said, that's a lot of faith into Will Hernandez, Shane Lemieux, and Matt Parrott, who you like those guys, but that's you can't. I don't think you can just totally trust them. Absolutely, and you also got to look at it. We know 
Jason Garrett loves to run a lot of 12, even 13 personnel package, even with an addition like Colin Gillespie, who's going to come in and compete with Caden Smith for that H-back role on the counter trade play that the Giants love to run. I mean, I don't think they're going to stray away from that kind of base run play. I think they're still going to have those power gap elements and multiple tight end personnel packages, which is just going to take another receiver off the field. But man, dude, I, I think about Jalen Waddle, dude. And I'm like, imagine him with Saquon Barkley. I mean, look at 2019. It'd be nuts. (laughs) Look at 2019. How did defenses play the Giants in 2019, Bobby? They loaded that box. They made Daniel Jones right. How are you going to do that with Jalen Waddle, man? How are you going to load the box and just trust some poor cornerback soul against somebody who has Tyreek Hill type of acceleration and speed and separation ability? That would be really intriguing, but I, I tend to... I tend to agree with you. I don't think it's fully off the table. I never completely rule it out, but I tend to agree with you. You got to look at that offensive line or possibly upgrade somewhere on that defense, maybe next to Blake Martinez. Yeah. I like Parsons. Yeah, baby. EPA. I, I, I went, I went Pars. I, I went into watching Parsons thinking like I had the preconceived notion that though, you know, it's just, you hear people talk and then you see a, a couple highlights and I just would always see him playing so close to the line of scrimmage. I'm like, is this guy the real deal linebacker that everyone says he is? And then I watch him like, Oh yeah, he, He's real deal. He's an A. He's an A plus prospect. So, and also you look at. I mean, he has the character. The character concerns. I, I hear like, I think a lot of that may be overblown just from people that I know that are affiliated with the Penn State program. But I can't really, I guess, fully weigh in on that. But who's going to know better than Sean Spencer, the Giants' exactly. line coach? So that's so, like an in that the Giants have about this kid as a prospect and his character. Yeah, they a hundred percent. Where it's like, hey. If anybody knows, it's our defensive line coach. Like he was, he was in that locker room with them, um, and you can't fake it for that long. Like your co- all your coaches know who you are. You know, you think you might be, you know, you know, even if you you might be think you might be tricking them, they know who you are. So Sean Spencer knows who Michael Parsons is, character wise. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get off these A plus prospects, and let's talk about some of these mid round guys, which I think are m- much more fun to talk about than the first round guys. Do you want me to point you of which five these were going or do, who do you, who do you want to start off with? You want to start in the trenches, Aaron Banks. You want to start with good old Aaron Banks. Aaron Banks. Cause I watched him today, got my evaluation done and I, I really like him. Yes. Yeah. Aaron Banks is uh, something special to, to say the least. And it's to the point where I'm like, he, he could be a third round pick. He could even be a second round pick. Cause this guy has tackle type of size, but he thrives as a guard. And it doesn't always look hundred percent pretty, but he always gets the job done. He uses that gigantic frame to be thick on contact, uses his front hand well to kind of initiate the contact and then control the inside parts of off or of defensive linemen while kind of steering them in whatever direction he wants because he plays with exceptional play strength and as a pass protector he's very very good with his posterior strength I mean his anchor good luck trying to bull rush this type of guy or even trying to run around him because he's so damn wide and he also he can execute to me i mean he's not overly quick but i think he can do a good job still pulling and kicking into space if you need him to he does take the good angles to the second level does a good job as the on the back side of ace blocks on the front side of ace blocks as well kind of climbing to that second level locating a linebacker or just getting enough of him to get in his way and not allow him to really have an impact on the play I mean, somebody that strong, somebody with big hands and the grip strength that he really possesses, you can kind of just gain the inside leverage on a defender and just control him at the point of attack. That's what you kind of want, especially when you run a lot of duo type of blocking concepts. I, I really like him. And also, 
you put out like a two eye shade on him or something like that and have him blocked down. Good luck. Good luck defender because you're going to get cleared. I was watching, I, I watched him versus Florida state and then against Duke and Florida state. I don't think I've seen an offensive lineman pancake have so many pancakes in one guy. I mean, just folding guys over and over. And what I like is you got a little Nick Gates into that. He doesn't just fo- like pancake you. He'll put a little extra shot in there or be like, come on, please try and get up and make a play on this. Cause I'm going to be here to light you up or, or find more work. Um, and I agree with basically everything you've said um, where he just moves guys. And like you said, it's, it's not always perfect. Sometimes his hands can be misplaced. That being said, do you think the way he's able to move guys in the run game and like you said, torque them and steer them, do you think that will translate to the NFL, that type of strength? Or do you think it's, you know, like, you know, some guys can bully people in college and they can't in the NFL. Do you think that's going to translate quickly for him? I, well, quickly is is another – it's going to be hard to see how he kind of translates to the NFL speed and then how NFL players can convert speed to power well, even as interior defensive linemen. But just look at his size, man. I mean, that size, that's on the books, baby. That's something that's not going away, and that's NFL size for a freaking tackle, let alone a guard. And I think he carries his weight relatively well too, and that's a, that's a huge part of it. So I think eventually, yes, he, he's somebody who's going to be able to kind of move bodies and control bodies at the point of attack. I think he could be a year one starter, too. I don't think he's somebody that has to have a year of development. And there's always growing pains when these guys end up coming into the league. But that doesn't mean they, by, you know, the third week, fourth week, they start kind of adjusting and getting comfortable with the speed and the power of the game. I think that's well within the wheelhouse for Aaron Banks. Yeah, six foot five, three forty. And you mentioned come in and start. I would, if the Giants were to draft him wherever, I would immediately like project him over starting over Shane Lemieux. Maybe not Hernandez, but I agree with everything you say. Where he says he's not going to be super fast pulling, but he's effective. Um, so he may, you know, let linebackers. You know, he might tip the hand to linebackers a little easier. But when he's kicking out, I mean, he's always you know making that block on the inside shoulder and doing a good job. And the only thing that you kind of worry about is. Like in pass pro, can he play the full man with that speed at the NFL? But that's an issue that Shane Lemieux had struggles with. Will Hernandez has struggled with that time. So um, they comparatively with the Giants, I think it'd be cool. And, you, you know, he, you mentioned the size of the tackle. He played left tackle against FSU in the middle of that game when um, Eichenberg got or down, went down or whatever, however you pronounce him, yeah, his yeah. name. And he, like, he looked pretty good doing it too. So, yeah, I, I uh, he's a guy uh, – I'm. He might be second on my most excited guys uh, on your list. Oh, on this list, he's second on the most exciting guy. I thought he would be number one because I know you're. Uh, unless you're you're big on the next offensive lineman that we're going to dive into, no, you'll you'll see. It's, uh, you know what? What am I hiding it for? Weaver. I I love Rashad Weaver. So, so honestly, and Rashad Weaver on this list, he he he's on the bottom half for me. Really? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about him. Let's pull up Rashad Weaver. Let's talk about Rashad. Six foot five, two seventy, defensive, true defensive end out of pit. Yes, Rashad Weaver to me, man. I think, I mean, you look, he was injured in 2019, had an ACL, and I watched film prior to the injury and then film after the injury, and it did look like he lost a step. I don't see somebody who has a quick second and third step. I think his initial quickness is actually pretty solid. Love his length, and I love what he offers from that standpoint. I think he could be successful on tackle end and end tackle stunts, and i like to see that if the Giants were to select him in like the fourth or fifth round or even a little bit later if he's still around because of those injury concerns, see him in that role with Leonard Williams you know, later in the season. I think that could be something that's intriguing, but I don't see a, 
a great athlete, really. I don't see somebody who has superior athletic ability and who's quick twitch, really. I think he uses his hands solidly, I would say, up the pass. Rushing arc does well to keep his chest clean, has a nice chop swim move that he engages, which I love to see. But I probably like another pass rusher that we're going to talk about a little bit more than Rashad Weaver. Counterpoint, I think he's got better. Like, you you make good points. I think he's got, got better and a more diverse like tool bag of pass rush moves and some of the first round guys. Like I look at it. I like, I look at him and he like, he's like, you know, they like, like a pure shooter in the NBA. Like, you know, you don't have to be the best player in the NBA to be a pure, like a better pure shooter than other guys. Like he has pure pass rush moves and it just looks so natural. Um, he does. He does. doesn't have like the greatest get off, but I think he does a good job getting, you know, getting skinny and horizontal and, and like working outside in, like, you know, starting outside and then, and then jumping in. I think he does that a lot better than the guys. And, I know you're a big senior bowl guy. He was someone who – and, like, him him and his teammate Patrick Jones, I had them very similar going in. Uh, coming out, I was, like, much higher on Weaver and kind of down on Jones. Jones had a bad senior bowl, man. Very It's not bad. something that's really consistent with his tape because his tape's a little bit better. But I agree, man. He gets – skinny and horizontal very very well especially starting from the wide and i think he has that quick first step for me if if you look at him as a five technique or outside say wide and he's going up the pass rushing arc i think that second and third step isn't all that quick and he doesn't have as much bend in his lower half ankle flexion hip flexion to really bend through contact get his hips swiveled and cornered to the pocket i don't think he does that overly well but i do love how he uses his hands to kind of assist him to maximize the lack of elite elite athletic traits that he has because I think he's very very crafty with his hand use and where he kind of hits a lot of these offensive linemen how he you know subtly pulls the inside shoulder down and then brings the other his inside arm on a swim move against a offensive tackle I think he uses his hands well but he's it's the athletic ability that's something that is a little bit concerning and I'm wondering if it was the injury that kind of zapped it just a little bit heading into the 2020 season yeah, well, I will say this. I, I don't view him as a scheme fit for the Giants. I like him, um, but I think for the Giants, he'd have to be you know a stand-up outside linebacker. He's never dropped back into coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I mean, that's just – I mean, that's a necessity for Patrick Graham. We saw it with Mar- – I thought Marcus Golden was the best, you know, talking about pure pass rusher, pure pass rusher on the Giants, and they wouldn't play him because, he, you know, there was there that threat of dropping back into coverage wasn't there. Um, yeah, that's huge and, for the Giants scheme, man. Yeah, so I mean, I, I would like to see him in like a traditional four-three type guy place, but but I I do love Weaver. He's he's one of my draft crushes in the mid round. So, and he also he had thirty-four tackles for loss, fourteen in twenty eighteen, fourteen in twenty twenty, and then six in twenty seventeen. Again, didn't play in twenty nineteen. Had seventeen career sacks. Was able to get seven and a half of them in his last season. And I thought he was solid at the Senior Bowl. There were other edge rushers that were more impactful in my opinion, but he was still solid. Yeah. All right. So who do you? Who, okay, we're talking edge. Let's go to your next guy, Ellerson Smith. Yeah, man. Ellerson Smith. I just tweeted about Ellerson Smith, man. And I I saw a good athlete, don't get me wrong, down at the senior bowl, but I didn't think this guy would jump 127 inches in the broad and then 41 and a half inches in the vertical, which is absolutely insane from an edge prospect. He ended up running like a four, six, nine, and this dude is like six, six and a half, 262 pounds. That's insane, Bobby. 
those are insane measurables. And down at the senior bowl, you were there, man. I mean, he was really disruptive and not just in these one-on-one drills where it's kind of set up for defenders to have success over the offensive linemen, but he was disruptive in the team drills. And that's where I thought he did really well. Again, shooting interior gaps, getting skinny and using play strength to kind of run through the half man relationship that he would end up establishing with some of those senior bowl offensive linemen. And this is also a guy who didn't play in 2020. He went to UNI, which is is a smaller school. It's an FCS program. Did not play in 2020. Ends up going down the senior bowl and making his presence known and imposing his will on people. I think he's somebody in, in 2019, he, he was really, really productive. I want to say he had like 14 sacks, 21 yeah. and a half tackles for loss or something absolutely ridiculous. He's somebody, man, that, that really intrigues me again in coverage. I, I mean, his film, I, he's playing against such smaller level competition that it's hard to take a lot of that seriously. And it was a year ago, but from what you saw from him at the senior bowl, there's a lot of intrigue there, but I, again, similar to Weaver, it's like, can he fit? I'm of the mindset that Patrick Graham can find use for a lot of these different guys. I'm always of that mindset because he's a smart coach and he's not going to try to fit a square peg into a round hole. I think that he would be effective as a defensive lineman. And he's one of those bigger type of guys who has incredible length, which we know the NFL prioritizes. Sorry about that train, but I like him, man. I like him as a prospect. I really do. So you mentioned he's cookie cutter. He's got good athleticism. Do you think he's a good enough pass rusher to make up for, what I think is like bad in the run game. Like I watched him against Dylan uh, Radins of, of North Dakota State, who's, you know, who's a good player in his, his own right. And, you know, when you talk to some of the the ends down there and you ask them who was the best guy they went against, and he was he was one they mentioned a lot. Um, but I watched Radins dominate him in the run. Like, like I, I just felt even the other guys at North Dakota, like kind of handle him. And North Dakota is a good team. Do you think he's a good enough pass rusher to get away with that? Or do you think he's a guy you kind of have to, like stash, like a Cam, like a Cam Brown type. We got to stash him and let him develop. I think he's somebody who's going to get drafted way ahead of where Cam Brown went, but I do believe he's more of a situational pass rusher as of right now. And that's why we're talking about him on day three. I don't think he's somebody who has a ton of sand in his ass really. And obviously his length, his center of gravity, they're all a little bit higher because he is six, six and a half, but he doesn't necessarily have that sand in the ass to hold up. I think in year one against NFL tackles to consistently set the edge. That's something that I feel like smart defensive coordinator is going to have to employ him judiciously just because of that fact. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, you mentioned the athletic ability, the cookie cutter size, and, and the production um, makes you want to take a chance on him. Um, but I w- watching Dylan Raid, you know, I watched Raidens in the in the one game of 2020, you know, while watching Lance too, and watching with this at the Senior Bowl, and then watching him in this game, it really like kind of like upgraded him in my mind. It's like, man, this is you know an Ellerson Smith guy who like, you know you like a lot of people like, and he just handled him. I know we're not talking about him, but. Yeah, Dylan Radens, that's that's an interesting one because I remember at the start of this process, I was hearing people that I respect in the industry talk about him as like a late day one pick. Yeah, so that's like, crazy to me. Yeah, I watched the film, dude. And I ended up doing an evaluation for Giants Country on it. And I was like, late day one pick? What the heck are they talking about, dude? He's playing at the FCS level. He should be dominating almost snap in and snap out if he's going to be a first round pick at that level. And he just wasn't. So I could see him maybe being like a date or a, like a day two pick, maybe in the third round, somebody you can develop, somebody who may have some upside to be kicked in the guard, but definitely not somebody in the first round. I thought that was really, really rich, especially in this draft class where you have a lot of tackles who are pretty intriguing. The Walker Littles of the world, Samuel Cosme, Eichenberg, Alex Leatherwood are all going in that similar range to Redunds. Yeah, I, I see some people, like you said, some people have him as day one. I think that's crazy to me. Um, I think he's got good traits. And then, you know, talk, like I said, 
defensive end saying like, hey, this was the best guy I went against. It's like, okay, maybe maybe I should listen to the people who are going up against him. And, and like you said, one-on-ones and stuff are built for the defense. And he did all right in those. But I agreed. When I saw people saying day one for him, I was kind of blown away. Um, but he did do good against Ellerson Smith. All right. Well, let's see. We got Trill. We got uh, we got Amir, who I like, and Quinn Miners. Which way do you want to go? Let's go to Quinn, man. Quinn Miners, the Quinn. D3 love child of this year's draft process. And honestly, man, I always have a soft spot for Division Three guys. I coach Division Three, so and I think Jim Nagy and his staff for the Senior Bowl do a good job bringing one D3 or two D3 or maybe a D2 guy down every year to help compete. And usually they don't make this type of impact. Ben Barch last year was a, was a good division two prospect from St. John's that went down there. He was actually my conference, Ben Barch. Oh yeah. How about that? He he was the redhead tackle, right? Yes. Yes. He was drinking like, and it it was like an energy drink with, with all this weird stuff in it, raw eggs and like powery. It was gross, but you know, the school he goes to, they never wear pads in practice. St. Really? John's. St. John's. Their coach was the most. I don't know if he might be dead now, to be honest. But their coach was the most winning coach in, in college football history. Um, but yeah, they just they don't wear pads in practice. It's kind of crazy. Bobby, where did you play? St. Olaf, and so he went to St. John's in Minnesota. Saint, was Mount Union? Are they in your conference? No, no. But they, I, I them in Wisconsin Whitewater, who you know where Quinn Miners from, were always the. The, the D1 powerhouse. So St. Thomas was like number three in there. I don't know now. I remember they were trying to like like petition to get to like one double A yeah. or whatever they call it now. Yeah, those are like D3 powerhouse. I mean, I coached at FDU. We're, we're not a D3 powerhouse. <laughs> yeah, St. Thomas beat us 49 to zero. It was brutal. Yeah, that's that's those those schools take it to another level. But I first heard about Quinn Miners actually down at the 2020 Senior Bowl. So his offensive line coach, Owen Reese, he's a buddy of mine. And he was like, yo, we have this kid, Quinn Miners. He's an absolute stud. And I'm thinking that like Owen is just like, you know, kind of building up his dude and stuff like that. But he ends up getting the invite down to the Senior Bowl, but only because Landon Dickerson towards ACL. That's why. If Dickerson doesn't end up getting hurt, Quinn Miners never goes down there, but you were down at the Senior Bowl, man. Him and Dwayne Eskridge were some of the smaller school guys. Eskridge, some baby. The, Eskridge, baby. Were some of the talks of the Senior Bowl, man. So I really like what I've what I've seen from Quinn Miners' his ability to kind of adapt himself to play with these Division One type of guys. I mean, he's somebody that you wouldn't expect. You know, I mean, he ended up going down six three. He uh, totally redid his body because he didn't play obviously in 2020 coming from division three, six, three, 320 pounds, 10 plus inch hands had 33 inch arms, which is pretty damn solid for an interior offensive lineman, but he showed a ton of strength at the point of attack. And I, and I loved them yeah. in combo blocks as well. I was w- wondering like, yeah, he can hold up in these individual drills, which is good, which is something you want to see. Cause like I said, defenders are usually set up in a more advantageous position than the, than the offensive players. But he did really well backside of ace blocks, climbing to the second level on the front side of ace blocks, using his forward hand and his post hand well to kind of control and steer, showing exceptional core strength and lower body strength. Those are all things that you're kind of looking for from a smaller level player. How will his strength translate against Division One athletes? And I thought I saw that kind of translate more than I expected. And you love the crop top and all that kind of stuff. I was going to say, we're not just falling in love with the D3 with the belly hanging out, guys. I I just hope we're not doing that. I hope not either, but again, I don't know if he's going to be there on day three, to be honest, because I can see somebody at the end of round two and even round three, look at him wow. and be like, look, he played center effectively 
down at the senior bowl. So he has that kind of upside, but he was a guard in college. And he, he, it's hard to watch his tape and take it seriously because he's just manhandling dudes. I mean, he's yeah. pulling and annihilating people, but he had the athletic ability to pull quickly and unlock his hips and do those bucket steps to kind of get himself into space and take good angles to the end man on the line of scrimmage on some of those power gap runs. That's stuff that you want to see. And he was able to do that still quickly. You can kind of tell that even though everyone else is kind of moving a little bit slower on tape for division three level prospect. But I mean, when he goes on the senior bowl and, and dominates like he did, it's somebody that's going to end up catching your eye. So uh, he's somebody for the giants third round pick. If he's still around, I would love to entertain to bring in has that positional versatility in the interior offensive line, which is something we know Joe judge puts a lot of value on. He wants somebody who can play multiple positions because say Nick Gates goes down. You don't want to freaking fill that void with Spencer Pulley. <laughs> so yeah. you want to end up bringing in somebody who could possibly kick to that position, has reps there and look solid taking on nose tackles at the point of attack division one, nose tackles that is at the point of attack at the senior bowl. So you, we're talking interior offensive linemen. And, and then you mentioned Western Michigan and Dwayne Eskert, who, I mean, he balled, he looked like on a, on a different level down there. Jalen Moore out of Western Michigan. I don't know if you've watched him yet, I just fell in love with him watching one-on-ones. He was a tackle. He played guard in the game and play, he took some guard reps. I think that dude's going to be a steal, Jalen Moore. Like I, I, I see him playing – if he plays guard in the NFL, and I know it, there's a bad habit with draft talk of just like trying to change every tackle to guard. Um, but with mean. with him, I think it, I think he could be a beast. So both – I thought Western Michigan, those guys on offense were the winners, like Jalen Moore on offense for, for that squad and then Dwayne Eskridge as the wide receiver. And Moore was somebody that a lot of people just kind of forgot about because he did look really good in the one-on-ones at tackle and when he did kick in the guard in some of those team periods. He was somebody who showed enough foot speed in his kick slide and kind of got out in the space, handled counters well. Whenever somebody tried to collapse his inside shoulder, he would drive him where a guard would be in those one-on-ones, which yeah. is something you want to see. He's not giving up that inside shoulder like Andrew Thomas did a lot in the first half of this season. So I haven't watched his tape yet. That's something he really want to get to that offense, obviously, because there's two really uh, talked about prospects, but I haven't seen the tape, but just from my impression of him at the senior bowl, it's somebody that definitely could be on this list and maybe should be on this list. And like you said, one-on-ones are built for the defense. I thought he just looked like even Ray Radins who did good in those. I thought Moore was just the one who looked like he just looked natural out there in one-on-ones, which there, there's a lot going on. And it's like one-on-ones I hate as an offensive lineman, one-on-ones are the worst thing in the world. You know, I'd have a guy who would beat me, three times out of five in one-on-ones. And then in team period, the guy never beat me once in like two years. So, um, exactly. so, so more looked pretty good in that. I mean, think um, about that too, one-on-ones. All you got to do, if you're a defender, you expand the tackle out in space, get him moving up the arc, then go inside. There's no guard that he could push you into. Like, like it so would be dumb. in real life. Yeah, I know. Or it's like, you know, bull rushing a center. It's like, that's not going to work. Like he's always going to have someone to that to on, on either side of him. You know, you're not going to be, those moves aren't going to work. Every time, man. Um, so they're brutal. So we, 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 we snuck in a little Eskridge and more in there. Um, so now we got left, we got Trill Williams and, and then the, the wide receiver. I'm going to, I don't, let's let, let, let me let you pronounce the wide receiver out of Iowa. That's Amir Smith Marset. Marset. Okay. There we go. Sounds yep. easy enough. We'll go to, we'll go to Mr. Amir Smith Marset. So I, I had the privilege, I guess you could say to watch a lot of, Iowa football. One of my best friends is a huge diehard Iowa fan. And he's also one of my, one of my roommates now. So I end up watching a lot of them and I'm always like, who the heck is this Amir Smith Marset fella? Because he's playing in Iowa, which is not known for their 
pizzazz or their explosiveness or their athletes. They really are throwing aren't. the ball at all or throwing the ball at all. I mean, back when Greg Davis was their offensive coordinator it was a lot worse. Now they have Kirk Ferentz, son, Brian Ferentz as their offensive coordinator. It's a little bit more creative and you could see how they use Smith Marset, but you see an explosive player and he's, you could, I guess if you want to get lazy with analysis, you could say that he's a knockoff of a Jalen Waddle. Obviously it's very, very lazy type of analysis, but he's a player who's a little bit undersized, who's incredibly explosive and can do a good job getting vertical. This past year, he ended up scoring a touchdown, doing a front flip and then hurting his ankle and basically getting knocked out of a lot of games, but he should be ready for the NFL season. But this is somebody who a lot of people were talking about before that injury. And then everyone's kind of not talking about him anymore. I think he could fall to the third day. And I think he's an interesting gadget type of piece that you could add to a creative offense, get him into space. He can make people miss and use that explosive ability to to really help an offense. That's something the Giants really need from 2020. Granted, they're going to get Saquon Barkley back. They added John Ross. It's really going to help with the explosiveness. But I still believe somebody like Amir Smith-Marset, who's going to have special teams value as a kick returner and a punt returner, I think that's uh, a solid move for an NFL team. And I know he's coming from a program that's not traditionally known for their athletes, but this dude is a legit NFL athlete. With better QB play, I think he'd be talked about a lot more than, like you mentioned, the injuring himself on the celebration. Um, and I think he had the little legal issues too. Hmm. Um, I fall in love with the guys who are those vertical threats. And then because of that, it sets them up for the underneath routes, you know, the digs outs, you know, comebacks, slants, whatever. And that's what he is. And so that's why, like, I will always take a chance on those guys rather than, you know, the day three guys who runs the perfect route or, you know, like I, Amari Rogers. I like Amari Rogers a lot. I think he's very crisp. He's very good in the slot, but I think I'd rather take a ch- chance on a guy like Amir than I would Amari. I think Amari Rogers is the better prospect, but Amari Rogers is probably only going to be a slot receiver in right. the NFL. And they might use him at running back sometimes, which they, we saw at Clemson's pro day, but Amir Smith Marset, I mean, he's somebody who has 34 career carries in college. And that's something that the Iowa offensive Brian Ferentz really wanted to implement because you get him on an end around, he can get the edge outrun an edge rusher easily outrun the linebacker. And then it's just him and a safety. He makes that safety miss. If the corner is being blocked by the, by the wide receiver, then you can have a really explosive play from a simple low risk type of run. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that was too, you know, like they realized who Iowa was and like manufacturing touches for an explosive player and a mirror. You he kind of he kind of remind and, and I, I I hate player comparisons I think I suck at them, but he kind of reminds me of Slayton a little bit, where it's like I know Slayton had Stidham, but I just I never could like I never liked Stidham, like I thought he you know like suffered from bad QB play and you could do that with a lot of wide receivers, and was you know that vertical threat who's not a perfect prospect but you can get on day three, and year one year two be like oh wow this guy's really exceeded our expectations. I think that's a good comparison, to be honest, from from that standpoint. I think they're different type of receivers, both explosive in their own right. But I think that's a pretty sound comparison right there because he probably is going to be a horrible one anyways. Uh, yeah, but I wouldn't acknowledge it as a good one. Okay. It, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put myself in the same sinking ship as you, Bobby. <laughs> I I hate player comparisons. I really do. It's like, yeah, but that one, that one wasn't really a comparison. You're just comparing where they're being drafted and the impact that they can have. For sure. All right, so now we got one le- last guy on the list. We got to get a Syrac- we got to get a New York guy, and Trill Williams, the outside slash slot slash safety, out of Syracuse. Yeah, so Trill the thrill 
his pro day. I mean, that Syracuse secondary is pretty intriguing, man. When you look at Mellon Cisco, Font. they got some guys over there. And yeah, then bro. what's the other corner's name? The big one. I feed you Melifonu. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he ended up running, I think, like a, a four four something Melifonu, which is really, really yeah, impressive four, four, at the senior bowl. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people unfairly compare him to his brother, Obi Melifonu. But Obi, I mean, he set like basically combine records with a 141-inch broad and a 44-inch vertical, which is just insane when you really think about it. But I feel to Melanfonwu, 41-and-a-half-inch vertical, 11 feet, 12-inch broad jump. I mean, that's still nothing to kind of bat your eyes at right there. And uh, But we're not going to talk about him. We're going to talk about Trill the Thrill, Trill Williams. I believe he was a four-star recruit, and he ends up going to Syracuse. Now, he's been dinged up. He kind of played through injury. But he ends up running a 4-4, jumps 36 in the vert, 10-3 in the broad, 20 bench reps. And I think that's solid. The thing I like about Trill is he versatile. He could play the slot. He has upside to possibly play boundary corner and you can play him at safety. And he has that athletic ability to kind of cover the post in coverage. You know, he can drop to the post. He can kind of undercut those seven routes. If he's playing in the slot, he can take good angles to the football and a lot of different route concepts and stuff like that. From an athletic standpoint, you really like what you see from someone like that. I think he's a little bit wild going into the tackle point sometimes, but I think he's an effective tackler when the mechanics are all set. And I trust in this coaching staff to really help that. I mean, Jerome Henderson, you got Patrick Graham, you got Jeremy Pruitt. You have a lot of good coaches there who have been around players like this who are somewhat developmental, but they can have a high upside and this point of the draft, man, you know, you talk about the fourth, fifth round. I'm looking for somebody who has a lot of upside. If they can unlock with good coaching, if you can lock a high amount of potential, then they can turn into a solid to good starter. And I think that is true. I don't think he is right now. I think he can come into the league and he could bust, to be honest. But I think there's a lot of potential there due to his athletic ability and three different positions that he could be groomed to play. That's something that you're looking for. If you're the New York Giants, I mean, yes, you're filled right now, man. You're good. Your secondary is one of the best in the league. It's not quite Baltimore Ravens probably right now, but it's very, very, very good. So if you could add somebody who has a lot of upside, a lot of potential, why not do that on the third day? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the coaching because I do think he's someone who is going to need some real deal solid coaching because oh yes, he's an athlete. He's the perfect – like when you look at him out there and you see him run, you're like, oh, this guy is a beast. I just feel like sometimes he just – I wish they would have found him one position and let us stick at it and learn it. Because I think, like you said, he has all the potential in the world, but there's like, I, I want to see, I want to see it translate into like working. Cause like at safety, it's like, okay, good job fast, but he kind of sucks getting off blocks at sometimes. And then they have him at nickel and they have him playing like 12, 15 yards off at times. It's like, so he's someone that again, I like he's worth taking a shot on, but I worry that he could be a guy that we look back two years from now and say he played he never played a snap in the NFL or he could be like, man, he was, he was a steal. And I think that's, I think that's a good way to look at Trill Williams because it is, like I said, I don't want to say boom bust, but he has elements of that to him, but I'll tell you, bro, Andre Cisco, man, he, I know he's coming off of surgery, so he didn't run at the pro day, I don't believe. But I think he, he did a crap load of freaking bench press reps, and that's what he ended up doing for him. And when you turn on his tape, if you watch some of Syracuse, you could see him flying around. Dude. I like Cisco. He's my he type of player. He's not going to be there on day three, but he has that NFL type body. And he also has the ball skills to go up and attack the catch point with a lot of physicality, takes great angles down and run support to stick running backs. There's a lot to like about Andre Cisco. It's just funny, man, that you have three legit NFL prospects coming out of a school like Syracuse, all in the similar position group. You don't really see that all that often from a school like that. He's my type of player, Andre Cisco. You know, before the Giants signed Logan Ryan, um, we did like a mini, like, you know, 2021 draft week last off season in, in June. 
And I was like, man, you got Jabril, who next year will be going into his last year on the deal in McKinney. And we know that defenses like to run a lot of three safety looks. I was like, look out for Cisco, man. He's like, he would fit so perfectly with the Giants. But like you said, there's just, there's just really no need there and for where he's going to go in the draft. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you can only play a certain amount of these guys and hopefully, you know, knock on wood, they all stay healthy. We want to see Xavier McKinney out there for more than just four or five games. Cause I think that kid has all the potential in the world and all the smarts too, in the process and he can handle so many different assignments. And that's one of the things I love about the Giants' secondary is a lot of these pieces, they have defined roles, but they're all somewhat interchangeable. And you can see that, I mean, Logan Ryan, he will drop in the box. You can see Xavier McKinney drop in the box. He'll play the apex defender, that overhang spot. He can drop and cover middle of the field, close center field and play that. It's like, wow, you can really kind of fool the defense, but a lot of pre snap or fool the offense i should say with a lot of pre-snap movement because these guys are so interchangeable well how excited are let's we're done talking about draft how excited are you for adore you know adore is not perfect but i just feel like he opens everything back up for patrick graham where i think patrick graham i think did a great job with what he had um but i think patrick graham wants to run a little more man coverage and blitz especially on third down and you saw he start he started to do that versus Pittsburgh, and he got screwed. They're like, all right, we're just gonna throw back shoulders at Corey Ballantyne all day. Now he's got a cornerback one he can trust and can make plays, and then obviously Bradbury and then Holmes. You know, I think like Holmes is one of the most underrated storylines from last offseason. Like we might have our nickel corner in that guy, and then obviously the three safeties you mentioned. How excited are you for what Patrick Graham's gonna cook up this year? Because I feel like he impressed us so much in 2020. He's just gonna throw a ton more at us now. Oh, I love it, dude. I'm very excited because you're going to be able to run whatever coverage concept you want because Adoree Jackson, he has his faults. He's sometimes susceptible to the big play. It can be a little bit indecisive sometimes. Will commit his hips a little bit early because he has the athletic ability to overcompensate for that mistake. But man, he could play man coverage, bro. He could play man coverage. James Bradbury can play man coverage. Now you can play man coverage on third and six, on third and short and not be a liability, not have that liability that Offensive coordinator is going to be like, hey, quarterback, target this player, target this player. And that's what we saw with Isaac Yide and we saw with Ryan Lewis. I thought Julian Love did well towards the end of the season, but there's, I like having him as like a swing defender, not somebody who has to commit to the cornerback spot. He hasn't necessarily proven that yet, but you add a Dory Jackson, man, and you really add yourself somebody who's going to afford you the ability to play man coverage whenever you really want, bring more exotic and different type of blitz packages. I'm a, I'm, I'm excited for it. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, yo, he's like a top five player on the Giants right now. I think that's a bit aggressive. I don't think he's a top 10 cornerback in the league, but he has the potential to be because he's 25 years old coming off of an injury riddled season. So I love the potential. I mean, right now, I think you've got a really solid number two quarterback or corner, or you can even say good corner in Adoree Jackson, but he has that potential to be a number one. And then you can have two number one cornerbacks with James Bradbury and Adoree Jackson kind of shutting down opponents' pass coverages, allowing the edge rushers and in this pass rush to really get home because that's kind of something that is a little concerning right now. Who's going to end up rushing the passer for this Giants? Yeah. But if you have great coverage on the back end, you can scheme up TE and ET stunts and twists and bring Darnay Holmes off the nickel, bring Tate Crowder or Blake Martinez from the second level to kind of help your blitz packages with five-man pressure packages. And that's something that I feel like the Giants can now do and also just use a totally different coverages on the back end and not be relegated to just like a three high cover three match type of defense. It's going to be fun. And I will say the Giants pissed me off with Julian Love because all summer it's like, man, I think this guy can be a good corner. I think it'd be a good corner. He was, you know, an awesome corner coming out of Notre Dame. 
they don't play him at corner at all in camp. Like he doesn't get a single rep at corner at camp. It's like, okay, he's a safety. He plays safety all year. And then I totally gave up on the Julian Leather corner dream. And then against Cleveland and Dallas, I got him playing corner. So now I'm, I'm totally sucked back in. Like, can the Julian Love play corner? But Adoria Jackson, I think, uh, closes that door a little bit for him. It, it does for – unless someone gets injured again, knock on wood. But the thing about Julian Love is he he can play corner, but he's not even close to the athlete that Adoree Jackson is. And Adoree Jackson's athletic ability allows him to he can excel stick with in Tyree that Tyree Yes. I, w- I went through the, ty- the Chiefs film of him um, from 20, 2019. And there was a play where Hill on a crossing route, J- Jackson stumbles out of the gate, like stumbles I, I've seen and is still yeah. able to catch, keep up with him. Like that's nuts. Like there's, there's how many corners can do that in the NFL? Yeah, I know you get beat at the line of scrimmage against Tyree kill. You're usually screwed, but he was able to use a lot of short area quickness and burst. And even just to get his hips in the right position to explode and then cut the angle off. Well, because Tyree kill can just change directions so effortlessly. Cause he's such a good athlete. You saw that a lot on the Dory's tape on those deep horizontal crosses, him just ride that outside hip, use that outside arm, or I should say, I guess that inside arm to con- subtly control the receiver's hips while using that outside arm to jump in front to knock it away, the ball away, which is good technique. It's what Jerome Henderson preaches. That's why he criticized Jabril Peppers on that one touchdown on Thursday yes, night football. Philly, I know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the technique that he wants because, you know, you can control that receiver there. And when you dive with the front arm, then you have a back arm. Granted, he was using it on the hip, which is something you want to do too. You just got to be subtle about it because you grab too much, you get flagged, which is something we don't want to see. For sure. All right, Nick. One, where can people uh, find you and where uh, where can they hear you too? Alrighty. So I'm just Nick Falato on the Bird app. It's pretty, you know, boring. Just F-A-L-A-T-O. I write for Big Blue View and Giants Country Sports Illustrated. You can find a lot of my articles there. As for podcasts, I'm on the Big Blue View podcast network, but most of my podcast is done on the Big Blue Banter podcast. Please download and everything like that. It's me and CBS's Dan Schneier doing all 22 breakdowns and just talking about this team that we love. That is the Big Blue Banter podcast. For sure. Love having you on before the draft. We'll have Dan on after the draft and you know, we will let you formulate our takes and find our Logan Wilson's, uh, Alton Robinson's, Kevon Wallace's, Matt Pertz. So, Nick, thanks again for coming on. And thank you for having me, Bobby. Take care. No holds bad. He was, he took me in the low post and won, but I think we had on the varsity. All right. Thanks, Nick Falata, for coming on. Um, and by the way, guys, if you guys haven't already heard, we want to share some exciting news from John Boy Media. Tuesday, March 23rd, Season 10's of Last from the Past launch on podcast apps and YouTube. Thanks to our friends at Cushy Dreams, Season 10 is a six-week series with a new episode dropping every Tuesday. We are so excited this new season and want you all to be the first ones to tune in. Catch the first episode on our YouTube channel, John Boy and Jake TV, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Head over to the new John Boy and Jake TV YouTube channel, subscribe for Last from the Past and other great content. All right, again, thank you, Nick Villalta, for coming on the show. Um, Enjoy your guys' weekend. But first, Justin, we have a cool thing we're going to do. Friday, 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. We are doing an all-Spanish YouTube stream. The Zona Gigantes guys, Ruben Vargas, Jorge Vico, they do a great job. They've been supporters for a long time. So I made these uh, Hablando Gigantes stickers. Yes. Going to be giving a lot of those away. All you have to do is subscribe to their channel, and then you'll be also entered into the raffle for um, 
if you like send me a screenshot of subscribing to their channel, you entered in a raffle to win that t-shirt. And right now we have like only like 10 people. So you got a good shot at it. So um, if you catch this before one o'clock and even not, like I'm not doing the raffle until Saturday. So you got all, you got all of Friday uh, to subscribe to Zona Hegantes. Show them support. I want to get them to a thousand subscribers so they can start monetizing their channel. Those guys are awesome. Uh, and get a chance at the Hablando Gigantes stickers. I put one on uh, at the taco truck by my office. So we are good to go. Justin. How, Justin, how did you like the Nick Filato interview? It was great. Did you listen? No, I did not wow. listen to it yet. Do you guys believe this liar? <laughs> he just lied to our audience. I'm sitting here trying to get our audience to trust us with information, and you just lied to them. It's like you you know you know I listen to it after the fact that we record where I when I edit I don't listen to it before. I know I just wanted to make sure everyone knew you were a liar I was trying to I was I, I just, that was that's that's a little term called entrapment in the biz mm. um, police can't do that to you all right Justin we appreciate everybody yes, we'll see you guys on Tuesday um, most likely with another really good interview um, won't say it until it's done appreciate you guys until then let's go big blue.